if you know anything about the production behind comedy, uh, it takes a lot of work. I want you to know, we work hard here not to be funny. We didn't want it to be funny when we were doing <laughs> the uh, Apostles' Creed, but nevertheless, uh, humor broke out, so uh, sometimes it happens. Hey, uh, show of hands. How many of you guys have ever heard of the, the story where Jesus goes into the city of Jerusalem uh, riding on a donkey? Just raise your hand so I know. Okay, good. How many of you know about the story uh, of Jesus going into the temple and driving all the money changers and like the people, the bad guys out, right? Oh, okay, good, good, good. I don't know if you know this, but those two stories actually happened the same day. And when they happened, uh, a lot of people thought Jesus had, had gone cray-cray uh, because of, these were pretty unusual. These are not like everyday occurrences, right? Someone riding into the city on a little tiny colt of a donkey, you know, like the, the, the offspring of a donkey, not a full-grown donkey, and then going into the Jewish temple and just turning things upside down were, were not your everyday occurrences. But, uh, so when people thought Jesus was crazy, he was crazy like a fox, because these were carefully thought through events where Jesus purposefully was, was saying to everybody, I want you to know what, what kind of king I am, and I want you to know what kind of kingdom I'm establishing. So when he came into town, he was saying something about what kind of king he was. Then when he went into the temple, he was saying something about the kind of kingdom he was establishing, what that meant. Now, you know, we're American uh, governance has not ever had a monarchy, so sometimes for Americans, when we talk about the idea of a king, you know, it's a little foreign to us, uh, this this idea connects with people in most of the world because many of them grew up in, of some, under some sort of monarchy. But I want to look at these two scenes, okay? I want to look at the first one. They're real simple stories and scenes, but if, if you have a Bible with you, if you'd open it uh, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 21, and if you don't have a Bible with you, there are loaner paperback Bibles under the chair seats in front of you, and uh, you're welcome to use those. If you, if you want a Bible, feel free to take one. I've oftentimes said, if you know somebody that wants a Bible or is interested and curious, feel free to take this and give it to them. So we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 12, or verse 11, for the first scene where Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. He's talking about the prophet Zechariah. Say to the daughter of Zion, which is Jerusalem, the Jewish people, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Now, uh, other gospel writers say the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was doing here. And later on, like the light went on over their head, and they went, oh my gosh, we thought he was crazy when he was doing that. And, and as you'll see, I'll explain a little bit of the, 
the context in a second. So a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, really, it's really simple what's going on here. In, in that time, and, and, and actually before and after then, when kings would come into a city, uh, it would be quite a show. They, they, would, they would set it up so that they were, they were coming into the city with uh, splendor and, and pomp and circumstance. And they came in, most of the time a king would come into the city first, entering the city, there would be trumpets sounding, he would be on a a huge, magnificent horse, Uh, oftentimes they'd have just really amazing armor on, and right behind him would be the the, the biggest, most burly, awesome looking soldiers, and the whole army would be with them, and then at the end of the army would be all the captives that they had conquered, they'd be dragged in, you know, in chains. You might have seen you know, this depicted in movies. So when Jesus came into Jerusalem, this is Easter week he came in, he came in riding on not a big magnificent horse, but on a donkey, not even just a donkey, on the, on the, the colt of a donkey. So it was almost ridiculous. People looked at it and they go, what on earth is he doing? His disciples are even thinking, what is he doing? They didn't get it at that point. They didn't see the significance of it. It was another one of those head scratchers. What on earth is Jesus about? And if you feel like in your life on a regular basis, you don't get Jesus, you are in a big crowd of people because we constantly, when we encounter, this is how you can tell when you really encounter God in a real way is, that you're oftentimes clueless. You're stretched, you're confused, like, wow. I did not understand how this whole thing's supposed to work. So the people expected the Messiah, see, they expected him to be a warrior king. The Messiah was this figure who the Jewish prophets had spoke about for, for centuries. And anybody who, you hear the phrase that I read there, Hosanna to the son of David. David was considered the greatest king of Israel's history. And David was a great man because God's spirit was on him. And so the Messiah was the anointed one, the one who God's power was with, who came in the name of the Lord. In other words, God was with him. And they expected this Messiah to be a warrior, hence the horse, the armor, the soldiers, you know, the whole schmear. But Jesus, he eschewed all that, and he came in on a donkey. So he's clearly setting this up to make a statement. And he, but he was saying, I'm Israel's king. I'm the king you're expecting, but I'm a different kind of king. And, he, and he's bringing in a different kind of kingdom than they were expecting. And so here's the thing about this. This picture is this fusion of greatness and humility. Those are two things we don't associate. We associate great people who do great things, and we associate ordinary people who do nothing special. 
But Jesus is this great, the greatest of all people because he's greater than just a person. He's God and man. And it's this picture, him on a donkey with all these people behind him, the dead that he's raised, the sick that he's healed, the blind, the lame, all the people he's taught and changed their lives. They're following him into town. It's just an amazing scene. Now, as you, as you might have caught, there's a hint of it here that's, that you're going to get a, a full dose of when he goes into the temple. Is Not everybody was, was down with what Jesus was doing. Because when you come into town on a donkey and you're the king, it's sort of like, imagine uh, you, go, you watch the Academy Awards and someone wins the Academy Awards and they come up in their pajamas, right? And their hair's all undone, no makeup on, just walking up here. Yeah, thanks so much for the Academy Award. You know, it, yeah, that, would, that would be to the people who are in the Academy who voted for them, that would be a form of rudeness. You would be saying, I disrespect you. But Jesus wasn't disrespecting the people. He was disrespecting their values. Because Jesus is the king of a counter-cultural kingdom. That's what he's saying when he's coming into town like this. And not everybody is down with that. And when you encounter Jesus, he's going to rock your world. He's going to challenge you. If you meet the real Jesus... The Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus that we, you know, we speak about when we, we, when we recite the Apostles' Creed, the Son of God from whom the Holy Spirit comes, who, who shapes our lives. And when we encounter Him, He's going to rock our world. He's going to turn our world upside down. And not every part of your heart is going to be down with that. You're going to find this resistance and this pushback, and it starts here. See, you don't get it in the, in, in the English translation, but when the people, when Jesus comes into town, and the people go, who is this? They're saying, who is this? Because, number one, he's riding on a donkey. Number two, his army, is, are all, it's a ragtag group of people, and, and they're going, who, who does this guy think he is? Who is this? He wants to be our king. He needs to, like... Look kingly, right? He needs to be into the. He needs to be powerful and mighty, and, and he is. But he's mighty in a way that's redefining what might is, and power is, and how it's used. He's countercultural in the the, the most uh, unthinkable ways. So, one thing, one last point before we go into the next scene. Just keep this in mind. Jesus came into town, and he was being praised. In this, to, just like kings would, the kings would hire people to blow trumpets. Da, 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 the king is here. Jesus didn't have that. He had the trumpet of the people who were grateful for his mercy and were loving him and were praising him. And they were saying, the word Hosanna is this weird word that, that it's like fusing prayer and praise together. It's saying, Savior. Save us. Savior, save us. Because the word Hosanna, I mean, its best translation is save us. Save us as much as you can. But it's, it's a kind of praise to God because you're saying, God, 
you alone are the Savior, and Jesus, you are the one the Father sent. Save us. And there's this praise and this prayer that's going up, and it's, there's no trumpets. There's just voices. The thing is, real praise, when there's something off in our hearts, will bother us. When Jesus is praised exuberantly, appropriately, there's something about it that just, ah, I wish it was not. That's just, I'm uncomfortable with that. Because there's a, when, when something in our hearts isn't captured by him, praise exposes it. You're, you're, you're tracking with me? Okay, show you. So let's go to the next section. So that's, that's Jesus coming in the temple. Next picture. So Jesus is on the donkey. Next picture is Jesus with this whip going through the temple and just whipping people. Like he comes in one door and all the people go out the other door. And if you read the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus did this. He didn't just do it like in a fit of anger. The Bible says that he made this whip. The whip that he used was a whip that people were familiar with at that time. So the word, when it says he made a whip, it doesn't say it in this account, but one of the other gospel accounts just describes how he made the whip. And it takes a while to make it. You have to sit there and you have to think. It's sort of like, like Marilyn. Where, where's Marilyn King? Marilyn always sits here and listens to me. And she knits. See, she's knitting right now. Now, I hope at the end of the message, you don't get up and like drive us all out with that blanket that you've made. She's never done that before, but you know, never know around here what will happen. Jesus is at the temple, so let's start reading in verse 12. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. Now, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You've ordained praise. He's quoting a psalm. And he left them and went out of the city of, to Bethany where he spent the night. Now, Cleansing the temple is misunderstood. I, I've taught on this before, so I'm just going to summarize it for those of you that heard it and, and try to make it clear enough for those of you who haven't. But the temple was meant to be a place, like Jesus said, my house is a house of prayer for all people. And that, and, and that meant all nations, the Gentiles, not just Jews, but everybody. So it was supposed to be a place where everybody could come and seek God. But imagine this, when you went up to the temple, when you went up to Jerusalem, it was on the top of a mountain, so you had to walk up a hill to get to it. And on the, one of the highest points of the city was the temple. You could see that from a long way away. So when you went up to the temple, though, if you can imagine, there was a, a sort of two tiers to the temple. There was a, a, a big, flat area, then there was a, a, another area, the temple proper area, that was elevated about five feet or so, uh, historians tell us, above that area. So the, the first area you came into was called the Court of the Gentiles. And it was where all the Gentiles could come and they could seek God and they could worship God. And then there was this elevated area where 
in the middle of that elevated area where only Jews could go was the temple itself, and inside the temple only the priests could go. And then inside one part of the temple where God's presence was, only the high priest could go in there once a year. So it, it, there was a whole uh, purpose to things being situated this way. But what the Jewish people had done was, God never said make all these temple, you know, all these levels and things. It's just the way that they constructed it. It was like they took the plan and they filtered it through their, all their prejudices and, and things. And out came this picture that we see. So there wasn't just two tiers. If you were on the Gentiles' court, which was the largest part of the temple, ironically, the, the temple itself was huge. The temple area was huge. The temple itself was really small. But this court of the Gentiles was massive. That was where all the buying and selling was going on. It was just filled with, with the money changers and people selling the, the doves, as it says here. And so when, when you went up to the next level, it wasn't just like sort of standing here and looking like this. The Jewish people had built a wall around that level. So all the Gentiles couldn't even see in what was going on in there. They could, they could be out there, but they built this wall. And on the wall, you're not going to be able to read this, but here's what it said. I, I, there, there are actually two stones that archaeologists have uncovered that had this etching on it in Greek. And I, I saw a picture of it this week in, on the internet. This is a sign. So when you're standing, like say you're the, you're the court of the Gentiles and I'm in the, the Jewish court where the temple was. This is a sign at the gates where you could enter that area. It said, no foreigner is to go beyond the balustrade in the plaza of the temple zone. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. What that was saying is this. Can you read it? Foreigners, keep out. Right? Don't even think about it. We don't really want you here. That's why we built this wall, and we put this sign here in Greek and in Latin, so everyone will know. Do you see why when Jesus walked into the temple area, he walked in, and he'd been there many times, but it was like he's coming in, and he said... Listen, he said, my house. He said, this is my house. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement. He's not just quoting scripture. He says, my house. You want to know why I drove all those people out? Because my house, where my presence is, is supposed to be a place where everybody is welcome, where nobody is excluded. And so he came in and he saw all these people. Now, here's the thing. This is the thing about this this temple area, they were changing foreign money to the coins that, that the law said, you, ha, you don't bring foreign money into the temple. Bring Jewish currency and bring you know, Hebrew currency, currency of Israel. Bring that in. So it, it wasn't an evil thing. And, and most historians will tell you that people weren't making money off of the, the money change. Like, like they weren't just ripping people off. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like your visa card. Okay. It wasn't like a 19% interest change. You guys didn't get it, right? You weren't supposed to. Do all of you like work for banks here? Is that, that's why it's not funny when you know, I poke fun at, at, at usury. Okay, anyway. Uh, we're all hooked on it, though, aren't we? I, I could go down that rabbit trail for a while. I'm going to let it go. Get out of here. Just get, get that rabbit trail. They weren't getting ripped off. They were doing something that helped the people worship. 
But they were doing it in an area that took up the space where the Gentiles could come, so they couldn't come in there. It was just all busy. Same thing, it says they were, they were selling doves. Doves were what the poorest people had to come and bring as offerings. So was that a good thing, that they were helping the poor people come and be able to worship? Yes. But what it was doing was these two people were conspiring together. Now, when you catch this, if you didn't pick it up, they were filling the place where God wanted people to come seek him with their stuff. It was about them and not about them. That's why he said, you're making this house a place where you're, you're taking, you're robbing, and you're not giving. You're excluding, and you're not welcoming. And so Jesus came in and said, I'm going to restore this. I'm going to restore my house to be a place where everybody's welcome. And he drove out not just the people who were selling the stuff. He drove out the people that were buying it too. He said, you're complicit with it. You're not, you don't have an excuse. You shouldn't buy this stuff in here. He was challenging everybody. You see that? And everybody kind of liked this. This is cool. We got this thing. It's for us. Jesus said, it's not for you. It's for, it's for everybody. All the nations. And the thing was, if you go back, like let me read this passage here real quick. If you go back to the, to, to the Jewish, the beginning of the nation of Israel in the book of Genesis, where God calls a man named Abraham, and he says to this, now you, I want you to hear this and just listen for the similarity when Jesus said what he said about the purpose of the temple. God calls Abraham, and he says, he makes this promise to him. He says, I will make you into a great nation. Abraham was an old guy with no kids. God was going to do something miraculous in his life. He was going to have a son, Isaac. And then that son was going to have his children, and it was eventually they're going to have a whole nation. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Okay, he's starting to shift it here. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The temple was supposed to be a place where all peoples on earth could be blessed. But it was just for the Jews. They had made it just for us. And so Jesus came in and said, this is totally wrecking my purpose. This can't stand. So he makes a whip. He drives the people who are selling and the people who are buying out. It's a, it puts a whole spin, different spin on what happened there, didn't it? Because most people say, oh, you're not supposed to sell Christian books in church. Or, you know, whatever. How, how, how on earth do you, you know, make this fit the average church? This fits us, right? Doesn't this fit the average church real well? doesn't matter if you're selling books or whatever in your building or trinkets, Jesus junk, whatever it is. It's about people. God's always about people, isn't he? Always. Isn't it always about people? But the thing is, it's always about people that look different than us and act different than us. They're different ethnicities and all that stuff. Oh my, it's getting complicated now, isn't it? But as soon as Jesus made the temple a safe place again, See, he kicks everybody out. Even the people who were Jewish, he kicked them out of their own temple, so to speak. It says, Then the blind and the lame came 
and he healed him. You see that? Isn't that cool? All of a sudden, the house becomes, it's restored to its purpose, and the presence fills it, and the healing starts, and the life starts. When people were blind and lame, there there were lots of scholars who say they were excluded from the temple too, because they were considered broken. They were considered flawed. They were kept out of the temple. All these people who needed the presence were excluded from the presence, where the presence was. So the chief priests had excluded all these people. You saw the sign. Jesus challenged it. Now, here's the thing, though. So this is, this is where the pushback's going to come both ways. So some people say, well, certain people should be excluded from the temple. I mean, you know, look at their lives. Look at the way they're living. Jesus said no. What he did is he welcomed the broken in, but he didn't leave them broken. He healed them. And there's some of us who go, we need to accept all these people who are broken, and then we need to say it's okay to be broken. And Jesus never does that. He says, you're broken. You're all broken. You're just all broken in different ways. But sometimes it's not popular to say certain people are broken because culturally, all of a sudden, we don't want to call them broken because they've been treated poorly. But, you know, in that day and time, centurions were not welcome in the temple. Roman centurions were the ones that had conquered Israel. They were like the key people of the Roman army. They conquered Israel. They were, Jesus was saying, welcome them around the temple again. That was unheard of, unthought, that nobody would ever consider doing that in that day and time. But Jesus welcomed them in. A lot of us are afraid of Muslims. I'd love this building to be full of Muslims. And you go, well, I wouldn't be here. Well, then you would be like those Jews that Jesus drove out. You just drove yourself out of where Jesus would welcome people. The temple is supposed to be a place where the presence is and where the broken can find healing. Here's the problem we have is in our conservative mindset, we want to exclude certain people because they're broken. And in our more progressive mindset, we want to embrace them. But God says to both, you've got to stop excluding people. You have something to offer them. Welcome everybody. And to those who are just open-minded, Jesus comes along and says, I have a countercultural message that says there are people that are broken and they need healing. And you saying to them they don't need healing, the centurion doesn't need healing, the whatever we today are celebrating that needs healing, that God, his word says, needs healing, we need to heal those people. But we're never going to heal them if we don't welcome them, genuinely welcome them, and, and welcome them into our lives. Not just sort of, okay, we'll have a section for the really messed up people, and we'll all sit in the other sections. No. That's not the idea of the temple. That's not the idea of what the, this kingdom that Jesus is bringing. And so here's the, here's the crazy thing. So he's a king who's bringing a countercultural kingdom, and then in the temple he shows us what it looks like. I want to just pause for a second. Let me read you this. This kind of summarizes what happened in the temple. Jesus is a king who excludes those who exclude others And embraces those who have been excluded. He's a king who excludes people who exclude others. Then he's a king who embraces those who have been excluded. Because all the people who he drove out of the Gentiles' courts, they got driven out of the whole temple. 
Then all the Gentiles and all the lame and all the people who were sitting, like where Peter saw him at the gate beautiful where the lame guy still was, all those people suddenly, it's like there's room for us. They start coming in. And the people who excluded them are now welcome to come in too. Jesus didn't exclude anybody. But he called them in and he said, let me heal your broken lives. However they're broken. Broken by prejudice, broken by pride, broken by greed, sexually broken, relationally broken, whatever it is. Our brokenness is endemic, and it's epidemic. Everybody has it. And so Jesus challenges all of us, all of us. So he's this king, and... um, he comes with this countercultural kingdom, and there was praise as he did this in the temple. So the praise that was going on as he entered Jerusalem and showed he's this countercultural king broke out in the temple when he restored the temple to its purpose, and then healing began, and then even the children began to praise him. But here's that same, you know. It, it's, it's vocalized and voiced way more directly. Is the chief priests and the teachers of the law, the people who are serious about their faith, supposedly, they go, we don't like this praise that you're getting. And Jesus accepted it when he was coming into town, and he accepts it again here, and he says, this is fulfilling what my father said. And, and this is like a, a big picture thing. We, we really have to see this. Is the Bible starts with this story of God being present with people. That heaven and earth were like this. And then it says in the next chapter that sin and selfishness and vanity and pride and self-will entered the world and heaven and earth were split. And then all this devastation came of that. And then Jesus came, heaven invaded earth again and healing started. And then the story ends with Christ returning. So he, he, he came, he died on the cross, instituted and inaugurated his kingdom, which is now spreading in the world, and he returned to his father's right hand, and then he's going he's gonna to return back to the earth again, and heaven and earth are going to be perfectly, perfectly united again. That's what the book of Revelation ends with, this picture. But you see signs of it all the way through the story, and at this point, Jesus himself, remember this picture of greatness and humility. It's like heaven and earth are united. But inside all of us, there's something that pushes back against that kind of king. Because somewhere in your life, you don't want that kind of a countercultural kingdom. And I don't either. But it's a, if you can see here, it's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of profound love. His desire is to embrace everybody that will let him embrace them. And then to chase after the ones who don't want it. And love them until they let him embrace them. And he said the sign of that kingdom breaking into your life is you will will welcome that kingdom and that king who's countercultural. And you will let it begin to change the way that you relate to people. Because the signs of the kingdom are, are, are 
perfectly revealed in how we treat other people. And so the temple that that we see here has several applications, we could say. First is the temple of our hearts. The Bible says as we are his temple, he dwells in us. So he wants in our hearts for no one to be excluded. No one. Secondly, he wants in the temple, which is the temple of the community, God's community, every local church, he wants us to be a welcoming community. He wants us to be pursuing those who've been excluded and embracing the excluded people. But he also wants us to challenge those who exclude others. Lovingly challenge each other not to exclude anybody. There shouldn't be anybody in your life that you exclude. Now, I don't mean that doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. That's a whole other teaching. But I mean your heart is open to everyone. Because here's what, here's what you've been made. God says, I have blessed you, and I want to make you a blessing to the nation. And the nations to a Jew who are very monocultural, where all the rainbow of people that are out there, all the weird, tall, short, fat, funny-looking, different-than-us people. And, but we're supposed to, like the Jewish people were supposed to do, was they were supposed to look at all those people in light of the love that God had showed them. And in the embrace that He had given them, they were supposed to reach out and not exclude people, but try to embrace those people as much as people would let them. And Jesus showed himself that it's an adventure embracing people who are different. But embracing, like we've said before, when you embrace people who are different, you are welcoming the presence. You're welcoming the presence wherever it is. Because God is everywhere. We may experience him in, in, a, in a more intense way as we gather together or in certain you know, moments that are fused with spiritual disciplines, prayer, praise, whatever. But the Bible is real clear. God is everywhere. And when we seek to embrace and reach out and pursue those people who are excluded or exclude themselves, we're doing Jesus' work and the presence breaks into that place. So, uh, Shannon, are you still here? I think it's fitting to just finish this, finish our service with that song, uh, When You Walk Into the Room. Because that's the picture of what happened in this story, isn't it? Jesus walked into Jerusalem, and everything started changing. He walked into the temple, and everything started changing. And there are times where, in a sense, in, in a certain sense, we have to let him, when we recognize how much exclusion has become a part of the way we relate to others, when we recognize exclusion has become a part of our, the movement of our heart, we have to say, Jesus, come in and drive out that exclusion. Nothing but his love can drive it out. Do you understand? He, the whip he uses is the whip of his kindness and his love for you. And he wants you to see, in light of the love that he demonstrated, your exclusiveness is cruel. It's just, everything gets turned around in the story when you see what Jesus is doing. But you have to invite him and welcome him to do that in your life. You're his temple. 
We are his temple. You need to be praying that our church would be a welcoming place for everybody. That not one person would walk through those doors and get a frown or get a, you know, one of those kind of looks that people give like, hmm, nobody should ever experience that. It's an old TV show, but whenever that guy would come into cheers, everybody would go, Norm, you know? We need to be like that because when Jesus sees us, he goes, Norm, Maryland, Tim, John, Ron, you know? That's how he meets everybody. And he wants to meet you that way. Do you see any exclusion in your heart? Is there any there? Is there anybody you're excluding? And you may have a reason to exclude them. The Jews had what they thought were good reasons to exclude these dirty Gentiles. Look what they had done to us. I don't want Gentiles in my temple, in my life, in my church, in my community, in my nation. Get those Syrians out of here. Get whoever, the Mexicans, the Nigerians, the, the, the Germans, the Japanese, the whoever you don't like. We've got good reasons for excluding and Jesus is saying, we have to, the, we're a countercultural kingdom. We have to think differently. We have to think differently. This is not political. Do you understand? It's not political at all. It is, but it, it's about Jesus' temple, my house, you, us, our city, our nation, his world. He's riding into it. He's riding into this place on a donkey. He went to the cross. That's the picture of the cross in this. It was humiliating to ride on a donkey. Kings didn't do that. He was identifying with all the excluded when he came in on a donkey. He was identifying with you and your sin. How can you not identify with the people who you once were? That has to grip our hearts. Why don't you stand with me, and, and we're just going to sing this song and close, that, you know, nothing else. I think you guys can sort this out on your own.